Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I got to get that blue check mark. <laughs> or you change your name to something absolutely ridiculous and you will have a monopoly on every username ever. Hi, it's me, Shaik Mubert. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our now-diverse friends and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I'm really bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are Misha Stanton, a podcast audio sorcerer you might recognize from LeVar Burton Reads and Marvels, as well as Dottie James, Potterless's UK correspondent and a voice on the upcoming podcast Unseen. Misha and Dottie, how's it going? Hello. Oh, you know, Scott is on fire, but that's just life in 2020, I guess. Yeah, it's September 2020. We've checked so many boxes of things. Now we have Sky on fire. Yeah, it looks like an actual film over there. It looks like a movie. What happens in bingo when you get every single space? Because I think we're approaching that for 2020 bingo, where we're going to be able to scream like, bingo, 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 as well as, buh, 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 I, 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 and, 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 and. We just need frogs falling from the sky. And I desperately want to pet frogs so that might work out for me. So what we will be covering today, our mysteries are coming from Clue Jr. And not just any edition of Clue Jr., but specifically book eight in the Clue Jr. series, which I alluded to in the episode with my parents, Barb and Joel Schubert, because this is the first book in the series after they realized that the first book had all white kids and all they did was mess with each other and cause property damage and stuff. So this is the first book where they were like, oh, no, our children's book should probably promote good morals and not just feature white children. Probably a good call there. (laughs) Probably a decent call. I'm very excited. It's very interesting. We'll get into the actual changes to the Clue Crew, now named the Clue Club, because I guess they're different. But before we do that, let's talk about the charities that you two will be playing for in this episode. So Misha, what charity will you be competing for? So I am going to be playing for the Sunrise Movement in LA, which is a climate change action group and also a housing action group that has been working to stop evictions and horrible rent things that have been happening during the pandemic, in addition to fighting for a greener world, which we desperately need, especially in California right now. Sounds like exactly what we need right now. Dottie, what are you playing for? My charity is the OCD UK charity, which just provides advice and information and support for people that are affected by OCD, but also it campaigns to and the like trivialization of like using OCD as just like a description. So just being like, oh, I'm so OCD about this. I'm so OCD about that really like 
minimizes the disorder. And so it, it really tries to spread awareness about that. That's really nice. Well, those are both great organizations. I love that you two are playing for them. And listeners, if you want to learn more about these charities, you can check out the show notes in this episode or find links on our episode page over at meddlingadults.com. But let's talk about how the game actually works. So I'll be recapping three quick mysteries from this wonderful children's novel, Clue Jr., number eight, The Case of the Clubhouse Thief. Neither of you two have read these mysteries ahead of time. I'll lay out all of the clues. I will ask for your accusations and each correct guess will earn you points, but there are also bonus points at stake if you give a particularly ridiculous answer, you throw a good trash talk jab, or the lovely Misery Loves Company bonus point, where if your incorrect guess matches my incorrect guess, because I'm <laughs> almost always wrong with these, I will award you a bonus point, because Misery Loves Company and we all need some company right now. Absolutely. <laughs> if the game is tied at the end of these three rounds, we will break the tie in the only fitting way, which is a sudden death riddle, but with all that being said, Said, I say we put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery of the episode, which is the case of the missing mittens. Oh, no. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Dire. <laughs> oh, it gets even worse when you realize mittens is a cat and not just oh, mittens. No. <laughs> oh, that's legitimately concerning. I apologize for my flippant <laughs> response. So before we get into the mystery, let me describe what has changed to the group formerly known as the Clue Crew, now known as the Clue Club Kids. Oh. They didn't need to add kids at the end. It sounds a bit too on the nose of something else, so we're just going to call them the Clue Club. <laughs> but the Clue Club is now made up of four people instead of the six that matched the original six from the board game. We have Mortimer Mustard, who's a black nerdy kid with big old glasses. We have Greta Green, who is like your standard white girl from every cartoon in the 90s where she's got blonde pigtails and she only wears pink. Then we have Peter Plum, who's your standard white boy from every 90s thing where he wears a red backwards hat and likes to skateboard and stuff. I like to skateboard. <laughs> this is my personality. My hair's kind of long and I always wear a hat backwards. And then finally, we have Samantha Scarlet, who is a very well-dressed and fashionable Asian girl. So we've got a new crew going on. I don't know what happened to Mrs. White and... Mrs. Peacock, they've just been eliminated, but this is the new Clue Club that we are dealing with. And to put it into context for anyone that didn't listen to the Barb and Joel episode, the old Clue Club was actually terrible. They were horrible to each other. They pulled pranks on each other. It was awful. It was horrifying. And now these people do nice things and teach you nice morals. Hooray! <laughs> it's almost like they realized they were writing a series for children and should teach them things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're checking all the boxes, and I guess they only did four out of the six because they were like, oh, diversity, there's only four things we can do. Boy, girl, black, Asian, that's it. <laughs> so with that now being laid out, let's get into the first mystery, the case of the missing mittens. So Greta Green calls Samantha Scarlet. She is frantic, saying that her cat, Mittens, has gone missing. So Mittens the Kittens is missing, which is a fun tongue twister that I just screwed up. <laughs> Samantha says, don't worry, I'll get the rest of the Clue Club together and we will find where Mittens went. So they all show up at her house. And when they arrive, Greta says that Mittens has gone missing since last night. She hasn't even come back for her meals today, which is very much unlike Mittens. She never misses a meal. So outdoor cat is what we're getting. Yeah, that's not missing. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just a cat who like is living its best life. I 
have never had a pet. I know nothing about cats except for I had a roommate that had one for six months and it was the worst experience of my roommate (laughs) career. What happened? Basically, he wasn't around a lot and he didn't get to teach the cat to not be terrible. So the cat was just such an attention seeker. And you can't really blame the cat. It was poor parenting. But the cat was still horrible and ate a bunch of my stuff and clawed up so many of my things and would just always ask for attention. And it was just, it was just truly awful. Mike, did that cat go missing? (laughs) No. George the cat is still doing well. I hope he has grown into a nice, calm adult cat. But in his kitten days, he was terrible. Okay, but Dottie, like, I know we're supposed to be fighting each other on this podcast, but like, Mike definitely did it, right? I know, right? That's what I'm thinking. Can we create a separate chat for our conspiracy theories of the host being a criminal? I'm going to give Misha a bonus point because I don't think anyone's accused me of a crime yet. I think that's fun. So Mortimer says that the last time he saw Missy, it didn't look like she was missing any meals at all. And Peter confirms that it looks like Missy has been putting on weight. I don't know where these two boys get off commenting on the pudginess of the cat, but it feels unnecessary. Yeah, body shaming. And I'll also say this, that like, now it's 2020. We know that the place outdoor cats get their meals is they eat every bird. They just (laughs) eat all the birds. Absolutely. Well, in which case... Bring mittens home and keep them there. Yeah. So Greta agrees that she has been eating more lately, so she confirms the thought of these two boys. Peter suggests that they go to Greta's room to look for some clues. So they go there and they note that it looks like Mittens the cat tried to make a bed out of the comforter. Greta's bed is unmade, but it looks like the comforter has kind of been formed into a rough cat bed of sorts. And Greta says, yeah, she's been messing with my comforter all week trying to make a bed out of it rather than use hers. I don't get it. Oh. Are we supposed to make our guesses now? Yeah. (laughs) I will say at the very end. I don't know if you already know. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe this just shows that I know absolutely nothing about cats. I think we just got it at the same time. Yeah, I think we did. (laughs) Okay. So Peter notices dirty paw prints, which Greta notes as odd because they weren't there in the morning. And while they're doing this, Greta's mom walks by with a bunch of sweaters and winter pants saying not to worry that cats just disappear from time to time. So I guess Mittens is super chill with just going outside. (laughs) Well, but no, that makes it sound like the mom is in on it. Yeah, right. So it's not really a mystery so much as like a a fun game that the parent is having with the children. Maybe Mittens (laughs) went to a farm. (laughs) (laughs) So Greta is especially worried because Mittens never stays outside all night and now it's getting colder. So she's scared for mittens. And mom says, oh, speaking of, I got the last of your winter clothes out from the attic. I'll put them on your bed. Can you hang them up, please? And I just love that Greta's mom is beyond chill about this. She does (laughs) not get mittens. Ah, I don't know her. (laughs) So with an indoor cat, a missing cat is very distressing. You're like, where did this cat possibly go? My one bedroom apartment is your entire life. Where have you gone? With an outdoor cat, it's just like, yeah, the cat will come home sometime. It's a bit more chill. Like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I once spent like three or four hours looking for my friend's cat, which they forgot to inform me they'd already found. What? <laughs> um, and it was apparently just inside, but it was an indoor cat. I got three or four other friends to come and help me look for it, but Pebbles was inside the whole time. Proving you're a saint of a human, but also I guess you got your steps in. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> 
So Greta's mom continues saying that she also couldn't find Greta's mittens, her physical mittens. So this is fun. Right. Okay. So there are actual missing mittens. Both types of mittens are gone. So Greta's mom tells Greta to go look for the box of mittens in the attic because her back hurts and quote, I don't want to crawl around up there. I love Greta's mom. (laughs) Then where did she get all the winter clothes out of? Yeah. Oh, she already did it and then hurt her back in the process. So she does want to go back is basically where she's at. Oh, see, I'm actually more concerned about the mittens because I I feel like I know what happened to Mittens the cat. (laughs) But the Mittens, there's the real mystery. Well, now that we have this clue of like that the winter clothes are involved in what's happening to the cat, I think that both Mittens went to the same place. Yes. That the Mittens became part of the other process that the cat is going through. You know what I mean? I must be thinking of a different process because I don't understand how they're involved. Ooh, well, we shall see as we continue the story. <laughs> I love this. I want to see you two have completely different theories that you just happen to arrive at <laughs> at the same moment for different reasons. Absolutely. <laughs> so the kids go into the attic and while they are looking for this box of mittens, they hear a creaking on the stairs and Greta calls out for her mom but gets no response. So then she calls out louder goes, mom, and gets no response. So then she's a little worried that she heard creaking on the attic stairs. Now, it's really dark in there because the bulb in the attic has burnt out, which makes this even creepier and more ominous. But to amp it up a step further, the kids then hear rustling and squeaking noises coming from the back of the attic. But it's so dark there that they can't see what it is. Oh, I wonder what it is. (laughs) Okay, so Dottie, you and I clearly know what it is. But like, maybe it's a ghost. (laughs) That's what I first thought just then. I was like, maybe this story has a real twist. (laughs) (laughs) So Mortimer notes that the noise sounds like hissing, and Samantha notes that it's moving. So Greta calls for Mittens, and when Mittens doesn't come, she notes that is strange because Mittens always answers to Greta's call. So they go downstairs to get a flashlight, and when they are downstairs, they see that some of Mittens' food has been eaten, so now they're even more confused of, okay, wait, is Mittens back? What is going on? It's a ghost. (laughs) Definitely. The ghost got hungry, ate some cat food. (laughs) The kids then notice that their hands got really dirty, which makes Samantha realize, oh, Mittens must have been in the attic because that's how the dirty paw prints got in Greta's room. And then Mortimer says, oh, so it was Mittens making the noise? And Samantha goes, no, but I know what was making the noise. So now I turn to you two. I guess you've already known this for 15 (laughs) minutes. But uh, what was happening? What was making the noise? Do you want to say it on three? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Mike, count us in. Okay. One, two, three. Mittens is pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess this mystery wasn't hard. I am just oblivious to how pets work because my guess was like, I don't know, it's rats? (laughs) Well, okay. Like, the cat's fat. The cat is hanging out in its own separate space and has stolen a bunch of soft things for padding. The bed was when it really dropped for me. Wow. But Mike, I think you're just like the dream like reader for these people because it's like they're like oh yeah we're gonna get Mike Schubert so bad (laughs) this one he's gonna think it's a ghost he's gonna think it's rats Mike's sitting with his armchair in front of the fire just like (laughs) enraptured by this very small like 50 page book like what's gonna happen I honestly had no idea, and I get that these books are designed for second graders, but I guess also it is for 28-year-old men who had very specific childhoods. Listen, if you gave a second grader a book on engineering or podcasting, I'm sure they wouldn't be able to figure it out either. You know what? I'm going to ride that high (laughs) and feel good about myself. So at the end of this first round, the score is four to three. Misha with a slight advantage for accusing me of the crime right off the bat. So now we get into our lightning round. I'm very excited for our first ever 
ever lightning round. All credit to my wife, Kelly, for coming up with this idea. But basically, I guess you could say much like this first mystery, I read through all of the mysteries in this book, and it turns out a lot of them were very easy, too easy for the podcast. (laughs) So I could only find three worth doing. I also bought, they make grown-up clue books, and I bought that thinking I would do either that or a hybrid of the two books. But it turns out the clue books are easier than the clue junior books because the clue books are just like process of elimination to solve it. Like all of the clues are very much in the story and it's more of just like a logic puzzle than it is actually a mystery. It's much easier. So what I've done to flesh out this episode is Kelly and I looked up Laffy Taffy kid joke riddles. Nice. So we will be having lightning rounds of Laffy Taffy riddles. (laughs) I suck at these. Perfect. (laughs) Congratulations on your win, Misha. Yeah. So there will be three riddles in this lightning round. We will be giving one point for each. Whoever first gets it correctly will earn the point. So the first lightning round riddle. How do you get an alien baby to sleep? Um, you give it some warm Milky Way? Okay, I like it. Not correct, but I like it. Do you have a guess, Dottie? My brain immediately went to those little aliens that you used to have to put in the fridge <laughs> to like, procreate. No, I'm sorry. Wait, what? Did you know about these? This must be a British thing. I've only known about the things you put in water and then they grow. No, they're like these little eggs that have aliens inside of them. I definitely thought they were American. Oh, no, I do know what those are. Okay. That was what my brain went to. <laughs> okay. I did not know about this. That's fun, but it's not the correct answer. The correct answer of how you get an alien baby to sleep, you rock it. Oh, Nice. (laughs) I get it. Uh, Okay, second lightning round question. What is the definition of a farmer? Other than just a guy who has a farm? (laughs) (laughs) Is this something to do with the word breaking up like a farmer? I'll give a bit of a hint. It is something that you could could see this description being on someone's resume or their job performance review. That doesn't help at all, but okay. (laughs) Involved in exponential growth. (laughs) Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Lacking any other sense of what this is, I'm I'm just going to go with a guy who farms. Okay, I do like the straight down the arrow guess, but it's someone who is good in their field. Oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty good, yeah. (laughs) They got me. All right, the final riddle for this first lightning round. What building has the most stories. Oh, a library. library. Oh, yes, you both get it, the library. (laughs) (laughs) That was in perfect unison. I'm very proud of you two. Okay, so now at the end of this lightning round, the score is the same difference, but you each gained a point. It's five to four in favor of Misha. All right. As we get into our second mystery, the case of the birthday bang. Uh... This does not sound like a children's (laughs) book. kid's book, kid's book, kid's book, bang meaning explosion. Great. Okay. (laughs) So the Clue Club is about to chow down on some pizza, and they are talking about how excited they are for next Saturday, which is Samantha Scarlett's birthday party. While they are enjoying their pizza, they see their classmate, Patsy Pinto, walk by. And Samantha says hi to Patsy, but Patsy straight up ignores Samantha. And so close to her birthday. Wow, cold. I know. Greta asks if... Patsy is still bent out of shape because Patsy didn't get invited to Samantha's birthday party. Well, yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Solved. (laughs) 
<laughs> Samantha sighs and says, yes, despite me explaining to Patsy, quote, a jillion times that my parents said I could only invite a few friends to keep the cost down. So immediately, Patsy's the asshole here. Yeah. Well, Patsy, Patsy didn't make the cut for the birthday party. Of That's co- pretty I cold. Mean, as someone who has also in the past not made the cut to some birthday parties like that can make you pretty upset agreed i get it but also like it is a legitimate reason of hello my parents can only spend so much money on a birthday party but if you're patsy you're gonna hear that as i need to think of a reason why i didn't invite you you're no higher than my sixth favorite friend yes (laughs) yeah and also like that you can only afford so much like makes sense to a lot of adults listening to this podcast but to children who want to attend a party that their friends are going to that doesn't mean nothing. A hundred percent, yeah. Now, it's funny you mention this because as the story continues, the kids catch back up with Patsy and Samantha tries to apologize again and she tries to explain again and Patsy says, I thought you were my friend. You're nothing but a snob. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Which feels very on brand for someone named Patsy. And then Patsy set up a bomb at the birthday party? Samantha again tries to explain the whole cost thing, and she says there were plenty of friends that she wasn't able to invite. She wasn't the only one left out of the party. But Patsy storms off anyway. And then Peter and Mortimer, I guess being the voice of reason and the voice from the adults that wrote this book to the children reading this book, say, what's her problem? This sort of thing happens all the time. And then Peter says, yeah, this is totally understandable. No, no, I would say, think of the children's feelings. (laughs) Yes, Peter says, I too cannot always afford to have all of the people at my party with the money that I get from my job. I'm Peter. I feel like the author for (laughs) sure has gone through this and was like, I gotta write this story. (laughs) There are other places to get inspiration, bro. (laughs) (laughs) So Patsy refuses to talk to Samantha for an entire week. So from Friday to Friday, Patsy won't say a word to Samantha, but... On that next Friday, the Friday before her birthday party, finally apologizes to Samantha saying, I'm sorry I got mad. I don't want to ruin your birthday tomorrow, which seems like a nice move from Patsy. Yeah, pretty magnanimous of Patsy there. Yeah. So Samantha forgives her, further proving Samantha is probably the best person in the Clue Club. And she says, hey, we're going to have cake and stuff. It says cake and stuff, which I guess is like other snacks. But she says, we're having cake and stuff at my house after the party if you wanted to come by. And Patsy says, sure. That sounds nice. Why couldn't she come to the... Okay. <laughs> yeah, isn't that just attending the party at that I was point? also confused. We learned the next day that Samantha and the Clue Club go to the bowling alley. Okay. So the party's at the bowling alley. This makes even more sense about why they had to keep it small is because if you have more than six people on a lane, it gets out of hand. So it makes more sense here. So while they are at the bowling alley, though, who shows up? <gasps> but Patsy! Oh my gosh. She crashed it. Patsy explains that she can't come over to Samantha's house later, so she wanted to give her a birthday present now. She asks Samantha if she can go into one of those, like, side party rooms in the back of a bowling alley to give her the gift. No, Samantha, it's a bomb. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Samantha thanks her and says it's really sweet and says sure and follows Patsy into the room. Now, in this room... This makes me so happy. I did not see this coming. Inside the room is a party, but it's a different party. It is a bowling team of adults celebrating winning the county championship for the 10th consecutive year. And I need a whole book about this (laughs) bowling team. (laughs) This undefeated bowling championship legacy. 10 years. The dynasty that they have established needs to be documented. (laughs) Patsy, good job on the present. 
what a great way to have a birthday party for someone who can't afford to have all their friends at their birthday party is by crashing someone else's party and co-opting it for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Patsy then tells Samantha to come stand over here by this table that has their big trophy on it. And then suddenly, Patsy screams at the top of her lungs. Everyone in the room turns and looks at Patsy. And then all of these fancy decorative balloons that were all across the room start popping. And Patsy screams out loud, what was that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Let me clarify that Patsy was with a group of friends. I guess they were bowling too. So when they walked into the room, it wasn't just Patsy alone. It was Patsy and all of her friends walking with Samantha into the room. So the Clue Club and Samantha's parents come running in so that they can see what's going on. Samantha's dad asks, what's up? And Samantha says, I'm not really sure. All the balloons just started popping. Then the bowling alley owner comes in to see what this commotion is. And then we learn a fun detail about the bowling team. As you would think this would be your standard bowling team of older men, a woman from the bowling (gasps) team comes up and she says that these girls came into the room and started popping all of the balloons. And then another woman comes up. She says that the balloons were specifically made for the team. And then a man from the team comes up and he says, you'll have to replace them. And they weren't cheap, you know. So we've got this co-ed dynasty bowling team. I need to know everything (laughs) about them, as well as their special custom-made expensive balloons. So the bowling team goes around the country pulling bank heists on the circuit (laughs) and then transmits that value into gold foil that's lining the inside of the balloons. That's why they're so valuable. There's always money in the banana stand. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Misha, you've certainly earned a point for that. Wonderful theory. (laughs) That's it. I solved it. Yes. So Patsy points at Samantha and says she did it. Patsy says that Samantha did it with a safety pin and probably threw it on the ground somewhere. (gasps) Throwing her under the bus on her birthday? Patsy is the worst. Yeah, dude. (laughs) The owner sees a safety pin in the middle of the floor and picks it up. And the owner asks the girls and Patsy's friends, what are you even doing here in the first place? And Patsy says, don't ask me. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Patsy has a wild quote. She says, don't ask me. I brought Samantha a birthday present, but she didn't want to open it around her other friends. I guess she's ashamed to be seen with me. Maybe that's why she didn't invite me to her party. Anyway, she wanted me to come over here to open the present. I didn't understand why until now. Oh my gosh, she's gone full Regina George. (laughs) Yeah. I guess she wanted some special sound effects on her birthday. What? And scene. <laughs> I fully understand why Patsy did not make the cut for the birthday party now. Yeah, Patsy sucks. <laughs> Turns out Patsy is a manipulative mastermind. Mean girls are mean. Mean girls are mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this tracks for, I guess, seventh grade, because seventh grade for me is when stuff got real. That's when I started getting not invited to parties. But yeah, seventh grade is when it got cut. And then, ugh, so yeah. Wait, wait, what is seventh grade? How old are you? Oh, 12 to 13. Yeah, that's the rough age. (laughs) What is this in primary school? You just go straight to secondary school and that's when it all goes bad. (laughs) Not great. Thank you for translating this to uh, (laughs) non-America. So Peter steps up. And Peter says, actually, I think Patsy is the guilty one. And Patsy says, oh, you do, do you? Well, it's your word against mine and the word of my friends. And then the narrator notes that her friends all not in agreement. So we know her friends are either in on it or shitty. One of the two. Oh, yeah. So Peter, staying cool as a cucumber, just says, no, you did it. I can prove it. And (laughs) then the story ends. So I turn to the two of you. How did Peter know? How is he so sure that Patsy was guilty? 
I will say just for clarification purposes that the solution does reveal that the entire interaction was explained to the Clue Club. So they know everything that you know from the details. Right. So he wasn't like there. No, it wasn't something that he noticed when he came in. They gave him the full recap that I provided to you. Okay. My logical guess is that her friends had safety pins and popped all the balloons. That's my boring logical guess. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, that's that's legitimate. I mean, like, that's definitely the mean girl move, right? Of, like, everybody brings a safety pin, and then one of them tosses one down, and the others hide it behind their backs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't know that if I have a better theory than that. Yeah, maybe the bowling team did it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if professional bowlers have any sharp implements that they need to use. Yeah, the only pins they have are bowling pins, am I Ayo! right? <laughs> Very good. But also, maybe they were also mad that they didn't get invited to Samantha's party. (laughs) (laughs) They were having their own party in, like, the part of the bowling alley where you can drink. An invite would have at least been nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, so in lieu of having a better theory than that, I think I'm going to go with um, Mitten's kittens clawed at the the balloons and popped them all and then scampered out. Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to award Dottie a bonus point because she got part of it in that The popping happened because the friends had pins. But the way Peter knew that Patsy was lying is that when they retraced the steps, Patsy screamed before the balloons were popped. So he goes, why would you scream before things started to get popped? Of course she did. Patsy then says, well, I saw her doing it. That's why I screamed. And Peter goes, then why did you scream what was that afterwards if you saw her do it? Nice. And then she confesses. She says that she was upset about not being invited to the party. Her friends were in on it. And then, I love this little flavor text that the book adds, the owner, to make up for this whole hullabaloo, gives the bowling team and Samantha's birthday party an extra free hour on their lanes. Nice. (laughs) Which is such a nice move by the owner. Good guy bowling alley owner. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. Such a wholesome story. This is way better than the old Clue Junior books. So now we still have a very tight contest here. It is six to five in favor of Misha as we get into our second and final lightning round of the episode. Oh my gosh. Okay, here we go. We're back to Laffy Taffy riddles. (laughs) The first of three. What prize do you get for putting your phone on vibrate? Putting your phone on vibrate. What prize do you get for putting your phone on the vibrate? Sleep. Again, this is for children, right? Yeah. yeah. This is for children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, Laffy Taffy candies can be enjoyed by people of all ages, but you probably <laughs> should be a kid because your stomach can handle just a rectangle of sugar. That's <laughs> true. I'm thinking through all the words I know that have like prize in them. So like enterprise... And that's it. <laughs> and like the only thing I can come up with is like a silent auction, which is not a thing that is a prize. It's a thing where you buy stuff. You're close, but I think you're going a bit too in the weeds. It's the Nobel Prize. Oh, very okay. Good. No, but cell phones don't have bells, they have ringtones. That's not okay. You can write to them if you want me to. I will. You know what? Yeah, write to John Laffy Taffy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the second Laffy Taffy riddle. What do cats eat for breakfast? That's not a riddle. (laughs) It's a pun, which is what we're really getting at here. (laughs) I mean, it is. It definitely is. (laughs) Do cats eat for breakfast? The hint I'll give is that it's a pun on a brand name. Okay. Breck kitten. Kitten. Food. (laughs) Oh, they eat fish. The next clue I will give is that it's a pun on a cereal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. Um, Lucky kittens. Lucky cats. 
I don't know. These are hard for candy. <laughs> <laughs> these are really hard. <laughs> the answer to this one, what do cats eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies. Mice Krispies, uh, dang it. That's very good. This last one I saved for the last because it was my favorite. It was so funny when Kelly messaged it to me that I closed my laptop and laughed out loud. Just gave a good singular, ha! <laughs> so that is what we're working with here. <laughs> How do you cut the ocean in half? How do you cut the ocean in half? With clippers? Oh, that is good. That's very good. <laughs> Moses, mo- mowing the lawn. Mo- Moses, I don't know. <laughs> Stop me. It's a seesaw. Oh, oh. That is so good. That's <laughs> so good. A seesaw. Yep. A seesaw, what you did there. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, I'm going to give uh, Misha a bonus point for the clipper joke and then Dottie a point for saying the pun of, I seesaw what you did there. Thanks. <laughs> All right, we get into our final... Oh, I misspoke. We have another lightning round at the end of this. I forgot I got nine of them. Good, 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 good. We have more at the end of this. We can suck at those too, Misha. (laughs) (laughs) We get into our final Clue Jr. mystery of the episode. It is the case of the wild goose chase. Hmm. It's Saturday morning and the Clue Club takes a trip to Farmer Fowl's petting farm. And while they're there, they see some of their other classmates. I'm assuming not Patsy. I I would hope that she has just been embarrassed out of going to anything ever. I would never invite her to another birthday party again. I assume the farmer's the best in his field. (laughs) (laughs) What a callback. (laughs) Farmer Fowl leads the tour. They first visit the barnyard and they see dozens of chickens and chicks. They also see ducks waddling back and forth from a nearby pond. Farmer Fowl says they collect chicken eggs once a day, sometimes twice if they lay a lot of eggs. And one of the kids asks, do you pick up the duck eggs? And Fowl says, no, they don't lay them as often. That's going to be important, I feel. Mm-hmm. 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 Before they move on to the barn, Fowl warns the kids to watch themselves around the geese, which is super true because geese are assholes. Oh, they're the worst. There were two geese that lived at the end of my village growing up, and they were terrifying. They actually chased my mom and bit her leg. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I remember my earliest run into geese is my dad loves playing golf, and I played golf a lot with him as a kid. And there was once where there were a bunch of geese in the middle of the fairway near where our balls were, and my dad was like, let's just pick up our balls and go. And I was like, why, dad? They're just birds. He's like, those are not birds. Those are geese. (laughs) Those are demons in bird bodies. Those are dinosaurs. They are terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely horrifying. Farmer Fowl even warns, quote, don't cross a goose or your goose is cooked. Heck yeah, Farmer Mm. Fowl. So I also like to think that the writer of this book had a terrible run-in with geese in the past. Yeah, I think everyone, I think everyone can attest to that. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more understandable than like the author of the last one had a horrible time at a bowling alley once. (laughs) (laughs) So Mortimer notices that a bunch of kids are missing and asks Peter, where did all of the other kids on the tour go? And Pete says that a lot of them went to the bathroom. And Mortimer says, oh good, I gave Francis my camera and I wanted Francis to take a picture of me with some of the animals. Okay, so what is it, why is it good that they went to the bathroom with the, okay, fine. Yeah. (laughs) Because I at least Mortimer knows where Francis is, and Francis didn't steal his camera. Okay, fair enough. At least for now. It's like a really nice DSLR. <laughs> Spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. It's a Canon 5D <laughs> Mark II. I think that's I think that was one. My roommate was a photographer in college. <laughs> <laughs> so in the barn, a kid asks Farmer Fowl what a mule is, since it just kind of looks like a small horse. And Fowl says, well, it kind of is a small horse. It's a cross between a donkey and a horse. And another kid asks, why would you cross those two horses together? And Fowl says that mules are stronger than donkeys and Millie here is as sturdy as they come. 
A third kid says, oh, and she's pretty too. And Farmer Fowl corrects them, saying that Millie is a male donkey. And he's pretty too. Yeah, males can be pretty. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's either males can be pretty or a male could be named Millie. It's just a name. Yeah. <laughs> so Mr. Plum asks how Millie got his name. And Farmer Fowl says that his daughter actually named Millie. When his daughter was three, she couldn't pronounce mule. She said mill. So calling the mule Millie just kind of stuck, which I think is a really cute story. It's very sweet. So Farmer Fowl then takes the kids to meet two Clydesdale horses named Horace and Patty, and a Shetland pony named Ponytail, which seems like the worst name for a horse. That does seem like the worst name. However, I gotta give props to Horace the horse. That's so good. It is really good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you guys ever have Beanie Babies? I did, yes. Yes. Yeah, I had a horse that I personally named Gigi, but the label called him Horace. And I hated it, so I cut it off. Good. <laughs> oh, no. My sister and I used to do the same thing. We would give them our own names and then clip off the little tie tags because they would always give vastly inferior names to what we came up with. I still have one Beanie Baby left. Nice. Which one? Uh, it's my favorite one. It was a husky, and its name is Nanook. Oh. oh. Is that the name on the label, or is that a name that you gave it? <laughs> That was the name on the label. I never, uh, I was not as creative as a child as I am now, so I never give them their own names. <laughs> so they also meet Mildred, who is a milk cow, and Mildred is pregnant. So common theme in these books. Oh my gosh. These books really giving you like a crash course in animal husbandry. I love it. Yeah. yeah, you're learning a whole lot. I love it. Very educational books. What do cows do when they're about to give birth? Do they also collect, you know, winter clothing? <laughs> they steal mittens. They mess with beds. They do a whole lot. It's just a lot messier when a cow does it. Imagine going up into your attic and finding a pregnant cow though. Oh God. <laughs> just chilling in your attic. And it's hissing? <laughs> oh God. So the kids come back from the bathroom and Mortimer is excited, goes up to Francis and says, hey, Francis, do you have my camera? Francis goes, shh, here's your stupid camera. Hold it yourself. <gasps> Rude. Farmer Fowl tells the group that they are off to see the pigs now. And as they are about to leave the barn, a farmhand goes up to Fowl and says, Mildred is about to give birth. So Fowl goes, I got to handle this. My son Harry is going to lead the rest of the tour. Have fun, kids. So Harry takes them to the pigsty where they meet Sousy the pig, the mother of all the piglets. And while they are meeting the pigs, two boys from their class come running down the field, yelling because they are getting chased by angry geese. The geese have come back. Inevitable. You were warned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Harry, the farmhand, saves them by chasing after the geese and waving around his big farmer-style floppy hat, and the geese disperse. Is that how you get rid of geese? I guess. It makes me want to carry a big floppy hat with me at all times. That should be common knowledge, I feel. Geese are not afraid of anything, anything in this world except <laughs> big floppy hats. <laughs> Their one weakness. <laughs> so Harry asks the kids what happened. They say, quote, we were on our way to see the pigs. And all of the sudden, these geese attacked us. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Not in character. Neither does Harry. He says, that's strange. These geese are so used to humans that they wouldn't chase you unless they got riled up for some reason. You boys didn't do anything to upset them, did you? And the kids say, no way. They just started after us. And Harry continues, well, I ask because I noticed that there are eggs splattered on the geese. <gasps> that's so mean. <laughs> so he follows up and says, where have you boys been? And the boys say we were in the barn when we heard Farmer Fowl say that Millie was having a baby. We wanted to watch the birth. 
And one of the kids' fathers says, well, that's a relief. I'd hate to think of anyone in this group picking on the animals here. But Samantha Scarlet, further proving herself to be the best of the crew, Samantha says, excuse me, I'm afraid they might have been picking on the geese. And Harry goes, why do you say that? And Samantha says she definitively knows that they are lying. So I turned to the two of you. How did Samantha know these two boys were full of crap? Well, because obviously, like, obviously the boys did it. Yeah. I just, I don't <laughs> even need it. to explain like, they did it. <laughs> The geese were covered in eggs or the boys were covered in eggs? The geese themselves were covered in eggs. The quote from the boys was, when we heard Farmer Fowl say that Millie was having a baby, we wanted to watch the birth. And then that's when Kevin's father says, well, that's a relief. I'd hate to think of anyone picking on the animals. And then Samantha says, no way, they're full of shit. Okay. Okay. Can I just ask what happened to the camera again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mortimer Mustard gave his camera to Francis because he wanted pictures to be taken of him with the animals. Then when Francis came back from the bathroom, Mortimer asked for his camera back, and Francis said, shh, here's your stupid camera. Hold it yourself. Okay. Okay. I feel like that's related, but I can't see why. You're absolutely right, Dottie. You said that thing about how the duck egg thing was going to come back later, and I feel like that's so important. Yeah. Did he say that there were less duck eggs than there were chicken eggs? It said that they don't collect the duck eggs because the ducks lay eggs less frequently. Okay. In which case, if they used duck eggs, that's even worse. We should, like, take a sample of the eggs that is on the geese and send it to the lab. (laughs) Does she have pictures? Oh. It's not a cell phone, so you can't just take out the picture and show it to them unless it's like a Polaroid camera. True, but it might be a Polaroid. When were these books written? (laughs) (laughs) These are late 90s, I believe. Yeah, it could be a Polaroid. Polaroid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just a matter of, like... If they wanted to be there for the birth, they could have just been there the whole time when they went to the barn to get the tour to meet the cow in the first place. And if they wanted to see the birth, they could have just been there and they weren't. Mm. Does Samantha just count how many duck eggs there were <laughs> and now has now seen that there are like less? <laughs> I feel like, it's again, it's just a matter of like Samantha being the best one in the group and also like her <laughs> having met adolescent boys before. Yeah, she's using her brain. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. But I'm going to I will I will spare you from more wild guesses. What it is, is these boys in their story say that they wanted to see Millie giving birth. But Millie is the male mule. Mildred is the pregnant cow. I thought you just misspoke. Yeah, nah. (laughs) It was Mildred that was supposed to give birth. Millie is the male mule that we talked about before. And the reason that Samantha knows that their story was false is that in the barn is when the whole, oh, Millie's a male thing went down, so they weren't there for that. And the boys revealed that they thought Millie was just a nickname for Mildred. They didn't realize that Millie was the mule. That's an exceptional story. No, I I think that this is circumstantial. I think that, like... The response to Samantha's accusation is just like, oh, the names of the two farm animals that we met today are so similar we got them confused. Sorry. Yes, you could just say that. Like, that doesn't prove anything. (laughs) I do like you questioning the Clue Club here. (laughs) I think that's so clever, though. (laughs) So that was a tricky one to end on, but the episode is not over just yet. The score is seven to six in favor of Misha, and we have three final Laffy Taffy riddles that could shake up the final tally. So let's see if you two can crack these. You've been so good at the other ones. (laughs) So the first, why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? Hmm. Why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? Mm -hmm. 
because you don't want to be led on? <gasps> I do love all the guesses. That's really good. But the answer is because it's pointless. Yeah. That's really good as well. <laughs> okay. Second one. What's the best way to carve wood? I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> With the proper woodworking equipment. Like what? Um, <laughs> the best way to carve wood? With a... With, with, with a knife. <laughs> yeah, towards the grain? Um, yeah. These are hard. You're close, you're close. It's whittle by whittle. Whittle uh, by whittle, that's good. <laughs> we were not close. <laughs> you said with a knife, you're talking about whittling, you're getting there. Final one. What is a tree's favorite beverage? Water. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it is, it is not water. <laughs> oh, no. Mountain Dew. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. That is good. But that's not correct. Dang. It is root beer. Nice. Root beer. <laughs> of course it was. It was so close. Uh, but do I get a point for actually being right? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the guess of water, but you got to know that we're going for awful puns here. It's just the name of the game, truly. So at the end of that exhilarating 0 for 3 <laughs> lightning round... What a great way to cap off this episode on such a crescendo. Misha, you have won this episode of Meddling Adults, Yay. meaning you have earned money for Sunrise Movement. How does it feel to just edge out this narrow victory and reign victorious? I want to commend my opponent, Dottie, because I feel like there was a real spirit of sportsmanship on this episode. It was nice, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was so wholesome. And like, really what saved me was just making dumb quips at the very end. Yeah. You know? It was great. It was great. I feel like maybe you might have a future in the Laffy Taffy riddle industry and you can make them better. Yeah, you gave so many answers that also worked. You can make them so much better. Improve the company. <laughs> I don't know. Whittle by whittle, I can't compare to that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this was such a fun episode. Dottie, you fought valiantly. This was such a close one. It was a very close episode. But thank you two so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Misha, since you want, I'll let you go first. If people want to find you doing podcast stuff, where can they do so? Sure. They can find me on my website, MishaStanton.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Misha, etc. at Misha ETC. Cool. What about you, Dottie? Um, you can also find me at my website, which is DottieJames.com, and um, Twitter, which is Dottie James. Wonderful. Great. Well, again, thank you two so much for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. I gotta say, you two held your own. Maybe not in the Laffy Taffy Riddle department, but in the Clue Junior department, you two were some pretty competent meddling adults. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show and help us raise more money for charity, you can do so at patreon.com slash meddlingadults. You'll get access to some bonus features and we'll put your name on the website. Or if you just want to give a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Instagram at Meddling Adults, as well as reddit.com slash r slash Meddling Adults. And if you want to learn more about the show, as well as the charities we're supporting, you can go to meddlingadults.com. And thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you want to listen to some other great podcasts, some of which I have a hand in, or if you want to learn how to make a podcast of your own, you can do so at multitude.productions. Thanks again for listening, and hope to see you next Wednesday for the next episode of this season.